Psalm 119, I'm going to begin in verse 89 and uh, read down through verse 96. We begin this uh, stanza. Lamed um, would be the equivalent of our letter L, as you might guess. And every verse in this stanza begins with that Hebrew letter. We don't see it in English, but that's how uh, this psalm is written. So verse 89, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You establish the earth and it stands. They stand this day according to your ordinances, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have revived me. Or you kept me alive, says in the margin. Verse 94, I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me. I shall diligently consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection. Your commandment is exceedingly broad. May the Lord bless his reading of his word to our hearts. And let's just look to the Lord in prayer as we look into this passage. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. And we ask that you give us insight into these verses and understanding. And we pray that you would, through your word, preserve us and continue to sustain our lives spiritually. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. God's word Preserved and Preserving was the title that I began with for this section. I do believe that you do have a theme of preservation, sustaining um, throughout these verses. Uh, obviously, God's word is preserved, verse 89, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. And we took some time to consider um, just what that means with regard to the Word of God. This is God's revelation and His communication. God is eternal. His words, once spoken, are eternal as He has revealed His words. Uh, They're there, certainly as they're written down on the pages of Scripture for us to benefit from hundreds and even thousands of years later. And we benefit from even this passage today, and we benefit from Uh, all the word of God that he has given to us. Uh, When it says it is settled in heaven, uh, I don't believe we necessarily are looking for a Bible up in heaven. We're not looking for a a copy. Uh, For instance, we have English translations of the Bible. That's not what we're looking for. But we're talking about God's word residing in heaven, preserved there because God is there. And everything that God has spoken is eternal, certainly in his memory and God's memory or his remembering of things because he's omniscient uh, is even a strange thing to ponder for us because we're so different from God. But these words of God, the word of God is settled there in heaven because God is there and it's eternal. And that ought to give us encouragement that God, as he has spoken, has preserved his word for us to be able to meditate on, to read, 
And God's faithfulness, verse 90, just as his word is eternal, his faithfulness is throughout all generations. Every generation, I think we're talking about human generations, the generations of people that have existed on this earth, uh, can see the faithfulness of God in specific ways. I think you can see it in the verse based upon the establishing of the earth, but also the existence of the heavens. If you look at verse 91, when David says here, they, they stand this day. What does it mean that they stand this day? Well, uh, what has he been talking about? He's talking about the earth. He is talking about the faithfulness of God, but he's also talking in verse 89 about heaven. So he's praising God here for his faithfulness that endures throughout all generations, and the proof of that faithfulness is the establishing of the earth and, of course, the continued existence of heaven. Ecclesiastes 1.4 says, A generation goes, and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Now, we know it doesn't remain forever in the sense that it's always going to be this earth. God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth. We see that in Revelation. Even the psalmist in Psalm 102 says, Of the heavens that they will perish, but God will endure. All of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be changed. So if there ever is a change to the way things are, it will be God who does that in his plan. But as long as it stands, it is a testimony to not only his establishing it, he designed it, created it, but he's also sustaining it. And that is even in spite of what one person spoke of as really the rebellion of this world against God. That this world has rebelled against God, and even though it has, he has remained faithful to maintain it, to preserve it, to sustain it, to continue to give food to the inhabitants of the earth, to take care of the animals in this world in spite of man and his rebellion. And he even said that he would, that he would care for the earth. At the end of the flood, when Noah offered his sacrifice, Genesis 8 says, the Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. But we know there's judgment coming but he would not flood the earth again. And then he said, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and night and day or day and night shall not cease. So is God faithful? I don't know that you need to step on the ground outside. You could step out of bed in the morning. Still there. Why is it still there? Because there's a creator there's a sustainer. There's someone who is holding everything together, and he's still providing. Heavens are still there. Why are they there? Because there's a creator who has purposed that. 
your faithfulness, a word of praise to God, your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You establish the earth and it stands. Why do they stand? Because in verse 91, they stand according to God's, and the word there is translated ordinances. It's the word mishpat or judgment or his decisions. God has decided, and as God has decided, his decision is firm. It is certain it's going to be that way until he decides otherwise. He's the Almighty. No one can stop his hand, Daniel says, or Nebuchadnezzar says. No one can say to him, what are you doing? If he has purposed something, he will accomplish it. And as long as the earth is here, as long as the heavens exist, it's because God has made that decision. It's because he has purposed it. It's a testimony to his faithfulness. It's also a testimony to the power of his word that unstoppable purpose of God. And verse 91 ends with a logical implication that if God created everything, if he made that decision and judged and, of course, made all the creatures, man in his image, then everything, sun, moon, stars, the earth, everything that God has made, belongs to him as his servants. Everything serves God. Now, you might say, well, I know a lot of people that don't serve God. Yes, that's rebellion, and God is going to deal with that rebellion. But the reality is everything in this world, in this creation, serves God. Even in some senses, the wicked serve God. They don't intend to, but as they exercise their vocation, as they do what they do, they actually serve God. Even if their purpose is to make money, the wicked farmer may want to gather all the money that he can. But even as he does that and he farms his fields and those crops go, they go to the benefit of other people. And there are certainly other vocations like that, that actually serve God by doing what they're doing, even if their purpose is otherwise. Think about this world, not only its existence as a testimony to his faithfulness, but all of its creatures, inhabitants, all the features, you might say, of this world, the aspects of this world, all serving God, accomplishing his purposes. Job 26 He says he wraps up the waters in his clouds. The cloud does not burst under them. He obscures the face of the full moon and spreads his cloud over it. He inscribed a circle on the surface of the waters at the boundary of light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are amazed at his rebuke. He quieted the sea with his power. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. By his breath, the heavens are cleared. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Job says, behold, these are the fringes of his ways and how faint a word we hear of him by his mighty thunder, but excuse me, but his mighty thunder, who can understand? So speaking about creation and the features of creation as being his, it's his thunder. It's his lightning. Light belongs to him. He's the creator of light. Darkness belongs to him. The sea belongs to him. All of these things. And you can get down to the details. 
And as I was meditating on that verse, all things are your servants, I started to think about those places in the word of God where God used something that he created in a way that served his purpose against his enemies or maybe for his own people. The gnats, the flies, the lice, the frogs. Imagine that. Frogs serving God. They do. Now, they don't always serve him like they did during the, the, the plagues, but in those plagues, it was a matter of God controlling, directing all of those creatures all at one time to start jumping out of the Nile and into people's houses. And then you think of the land of the Philistines when they had the ark and there were all of these plagues that happened in the land of the Philistines, including mice and diseases. And then, of course, you have Elijah sitting by the brook. So he's got water. But how does he get food? The ravens actually brought him food. These servants of God, as they, I don't know where they found it, Maybe they slipped some off of Jezebel's table and brought it all the way out to where Elijah was, but they brought food for him, meat for him. And then with the prophet who is insulted or spoken ill of by these 42 or the many more than 42, but all of these children who were mocking the prophet of God and he cursed them in the name of the Lord, and judgment came. You remember how it came? Bears came out of the woods. That wasn't just a sudden attack, random. That was a prayer uttered, God answered, and he judged, I believe, not just the children, but the parents of those children who were also mocking the prophet of God. There's a little foal of a donkey that served the Lord Jesus. That, that little servant that was born and made just for the purpose of him riding that creature into Jerusalem on the day of his triumphal entry. Has God ever used rain? Of course he has. Has he ever used hail? Of course he has. Has he ever split the waters for his purposes. They answered to his power. Of course, even the water, even the depths, the the fountains of the deep were broken up. How did they break up at that point? Because God purposed it so. Not only did he send the rain from heaven, but during the flood, those fountains of the deep were broken up, and God is using his servants to accomplish his purpose in the world. So when you start thinking about all those things, yeah, all things are God's servants. And they praise him. They're called to praise him in the Psalm 148. Praise the Lord from the earth, sea monsters and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. The wind is his servant. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and winged fowl, 
kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and virgins, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted and his glory is above earth and heaven. Now, the psalmist here, David, just says, all things are your servants. And again, it is, it is man in his sinfulness as he has rebelled against God that is out of order. We know the angels that sinned are also out of order, and he is going to set that right. But even they serve him. Even they serve him. One writer said, William Plummer, the very fact of a creation in ruins, a world in rebellion against its maker, failing of the grand end of existence and yet can still continue in existence, manifests his faithfulness unto all generations. And certainly, as they continue to serve him, it demonstrates his lordship. God is Lord. He's Lord of the frogs, the flies the gnats, the bears, the wind, the mountains. And there will be a day when every knee will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father, every knee. So who are we to disobey this great king? Who are we to defy and go our own way when he is such a great master. It's utter foolishness, and it will bring consequence to reject his lordship. This is a word of praise, but that word of praise helps us to see our foolishness if we don't see ourselves as servants of God, and if we don't live that out as well. So are you serving God? Are you obeying God? Are you obeying his words? Are you hearing his words and following his words? And no, we're sinful people. We're not perfect. But are we seeking to, as David many times says, even in this psalm, that he is seeking God's testimonies or he's seeking God's commandments? He's not perfect. But in verse 94, for instance, I have sought your precepts. He's pursuing them, trying to obey receiving God's help, and then, of course, taking the blame when he fails because of his own sinful heart, and rightly so, and we should too. But God, by his grace, master over all things, and he preserves all of his servants until he has a purpose otherwise with regard to his creation. Look at verse 92. After praising God, for his dominion over all things. Verse 92, he testifies to the power of God to sustain him in affliction. Notice he says, if your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. God's word made him glad. And not just in good times, but in bad times. It's God's word that gave him pleasure. It's God's word that gave him strength within and satisfied his heart, even when outward circumstances were not favorable to him. And sometimes 
we say, don't we, as believers? We think about what somebody is, somebody is going through. We think about the trial that they're going through, and they, they know the Lord, they have the Lord, and the Lord is helping them through. But the significance of the trial, we, we say to ourselves as we observe, or maybe we go through it ourselves, we say, I don't know how they would do it without the Lord. I mean, how could they, how do people without the Lord handle? And the reality is they don't. Times they turn to self-harm or choices that bring destruction. But as God allows and even sends us through affliction, it's his purpose, he's also sent us with both a guide and a support Right? He doesn't allow us just to go through without any help. His presence is with us. His promises are given to us. His power is there to help us. His grace is there to enable us. And how do we know about any of those things? It's his word. Because those things are those things I can't I can't touch, but I know are real. Right? God is real. He is real. His presence is with us. He is with us tonight. How do we know that? His word tells us that. He lives in our hearts by his spirit if we believed in Christ. How do we know about his presence? Well, his word tells us that even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's there with us. How do we know that his grace is there? Well, he's promised that his grace will be sufficient for us in a time of our weakness. That's what he said to Paul. Paul asked for deliverance from the affliction. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And even though he asked the Lord three times, that's how he was answered. And so Paul had a threefold assurance that God would give him grace. Not just once, but three times. How do we know that How do we know that what we're going through is going to turn out for good? How do we know that? Because sometimes we look, and like Naomi did, we think, or like Jacob did, all these things are against me. We have this negative outlook, and we think, how could good come out of this? But we know, and we know on the basis of faith, that God works all things together for good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And we know that God is for us. And we know that ultimately no one could be against us because of that. And the way that we know that God is for us is that he sent Christ. Even while we were his enemies. And Christ came, and he died, and he rose again, and he intercedes for us. So those truths that we latch onto, we latch onto them, I hope, in times of joy, because they're joyful thoughts, but especially during times of affliction, it's those thoughts that will sustain It's really those thoughts when believed that will calm a child's heart when she is afraid of the dark. 
that God is with you. Affliction. And David's testimony is, I would have perished. I would have been destroyed in my affliction if God's word had not been my delight. And I would just encourage you to continue to read and study and meditate and put your attention on God's word, listen to it if you can. You might not be going through affliction now, but you, if you live through life in this world, man is born to trouble, Job said, as the sparks fly upward. And so there's definitely going to be something that's going to come your way. And what will you latch on to in those times? It'll be the word of God. Through faith, as you trust in God, God's word sustains us. What are the afflictions that David is talking about? Well, in other places in the psalm, he's talking about oppression. He's talking about lies. He's talking about arrogant enemies, threats upon his life. Those are more serious things than we often go through. I'm not saying we don't go through serious things as well, as well. But if you go through a time where you're opposed and you have enemies or you're being oppressed or you're being lied about or there are threats towards you, in God's word, you can see, in addition to the promises, you can see his power over his enemies. You can see his overcoming the oppressors of his people, his judgments against those who walk in pride, and his protection of his people. God does all those things and more. And where would you know about it but his word? And it's through faith in God that God is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not going to change, and you can trust in him today just as much as Peter could trust as he stepped out on the water. And you remember, he stepped out on the water. He actually walked on water as he trusted in the Lord Jesus. And what brought him to start to sink? He started looking at the waves. He saw everything going on around him, and he stopped looking at Jesus. So God has the power to sustain us through affliction by his word. And again, you might not be facing it now, but you will. We all will. And so may the Lord help us to put our time, uh, even this week, into the word of God, that we would find joy in it, true delight in it, things that will gladden our heart, the Word of God is so precious to us, but it grows more precious, doesn't it, when we go through a hard time and we see the blessing and the benefit and the really the meaning of it. We didn't really understand it until we went through the time of affliction, and then through the affliction, we had to depend on something, and we depended on God's Word, and we realized it's true. We understood what it meant. So can I ask you what uh, Pastor Ryle used to ask as he wrote and as he challenged his readers or hearers as he preached? What are you doing with your Bible? Are you reading it? I used to teach 
uh, high school classes, and I would ask them if somebody took out a book of your Bible, when would you notice? Have you ever read it? And if you have read it, have you gone back to it? You can tell in this psalm that the servant of the Lord, David, is going through many difficult things. But even as he does, he testifies that the word of God is what sustained him, gave him life, revived him, gave him guidance, gave him light, brought him through. So why would we, why would we, Put aside the guide. Why would we turn off the GPS, so to speak, and say, I can make it myself when we really don't know the way? God's given us the way, right? So I just want to encourage you. And we'll continue and finish this uh, section of the psalm next week. But I just want to encourage you to make much of God's word in your life. Let's pray. Lord, as we find ourselves again reminded of the goodness of your word, the blessing of your word, the richness of your word, and your greatness and glory as the Lord of all, we're reminded of these truths, Lord, and we pray that by faith we would believe that we would not dismiss an exhortation to rely upon the eternal word of God, both for life and eternity. And Lord, I do pray that if there's someone here tonight who has yet to even place their reliance upon the truthfulness of the word of salvation in Jesus Christ, They have never committed themselves to the one way into your presence, Father. I pray that even tonight they would be convicted of their sin of unbelief. Because whatever you speak is true. And Lord Jesus, we know that what you said is true. You said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And those of us who have come to know you rely upon that for our eternal destiny. We rely upon your promises of forgiven sin as we call on the name of the Lord. That's what we're trusting in, your words. We never saw the crucifixion. We never saw the resurrection. But we know that those truly happen because you have said it. And there's testimony from your word. We pray that those who have yet to believe, even in this place, after they've heard the word of God, I pray that you'd convict them, convince them, Lord, of the truth, and by your spirit work in such a way that they would bow the knee and put their trust in Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Let's turn in closing to number 560, 560.